Welcome to Reputation Matters. I'm Creighton Webb. PR veteran Bill Powers has seemingly done and seen it all when it comes to crisis communications and speech writing for some of America's most well-known and sometimes most controversial figures. Here's part two of our conversation. You wrote speeches for NRA leaders and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned Wayne LaPierre, Tom Selleck, uh, Ollie North, mm-hmm. Oliver North, Lieutenant yes. uh, uh, Colonel, um, Charlton Heston. Mm-hmm. What's it like to have to put words into someone else's mouth who is famous and iconic on already? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Hopefully by then you know them a little bit, uh, and I all of those gentlemen that you mentioned I, I have known for a long time and knew previous to writing for them, uh, so that helps. Um, and they each have their own uh, sort of image uh, to protect. I mean, Heston certainly had an aura about him, a public image, uh, you know. Uh, Moses and Ben-Hur and, you know, he playing these iconic characters. Uh, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, he certainly had his own public image. Colonel North, you know, he defied Congress during the Iran-Contra hearings and he served President Reagan. I mean, he certainly has that his own public image persona. And so you want to be mindful of that when you're writing for him. Um, and it depends on the event too. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Colonel North, uh, he did several appearances on behalf of candidates who were running for office in various states. And uh, so his speeches were more uh, sort of political campaign geared. Yeah. Uh, but you still wanted to have him in there um, and sh- and show the audience, give the audience, you know, a glimpse of that Ollie North iconic figure that you all saw on television. Same with Heston, you know, you tinker around the edges of whatever campaign speech or whatever the audience might be that he's delivering a speech to, but but you wanna keep the audience reminded that, hey, this is Charlton Heston. I mean, we'd go to events, uh, campaign rallies with Mr. Heston, and you could look out at the crowd and, you know, people are holding up their babies because they wanna be able to say, you were you saw, Charlton Heston, you know, and and women would come up and say, you know, to meet him, you know, shake his hand and say, this is my my baby son, Charlton. Wow. I mean, it's really, so you want to, you, you do have to be mindful of those sort of iconic images that people have of some of the, the people that I wrote for. Even Wayne LaPierre, I mean, he, uh, next to Heston, Wayne LaPierre, you know, has, has had become the biggest celebrity on the gun issue right after Charlton Heston. So even Wayne, you know, I've had people, uh, I've met people in other situations outside of the NRA and they've said this hand shook Wayne LaPierre's hand. Wow. So you, you gotta be mindful that in a lot of ways, the people you're writing for are are viewed as- uh, Not just celebrities. Heroes yeah. by, by that audience. Have you ever written a speech that you just thought was the best thing you'd ever written? perfect for Mr. Heston or Colonel North or any of these other figures, and they just hated it. No, but I I wrote a speech uh, 
uh, Wayne LaPierre would go every once in a while to the police, National Police Shooting Championships in Albuquerque. That's where they hold the, and they, you know, it's like watching paint dry. I mean, just watching people put put holes in targets. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's a national police law enforcement kind of thing. And it's it's really, it's really, the guys are great. And they're from all states, different kind of law enforcement agencies. You get FBI there, you get, you know, the local Dallas PD there, and they're all competing. Um, and so Wayne would go to their banquet, uh, went, went, was going to their banquet to give a big speech, which I wrote, and it was beautiful. It was in the aftermath of the anti-police, Black Lives Matter, defund the police. It was a beautiful speech for, for police, and they ate it up. Uh, but it was also when Hillary Clinton was gonna run running for president, and so I, put a bit of, uh, you know, uh, criticisms of her um, as a potential president. Um, and we got there for the speech and Wayne LaPierre, in my view, made a critical error. He handed a draft of the speech to uh, an NRA staffer who works for their law enforcement division, who then proceeded to cut all of the anti-Hillary president uh, hmm. uh, section of the speech. And, you know, at some point, you know, it's up to Mr. LaPierre to make that decision. And I expressed my view that it should stay in. Uh, he uh, acquiesced to his own staffer. And I said, well, you know, it's your NRA. I mean, it's, it's your speech. So, yeah. I think that was a great speech that could have been better had he left it in. And I was, a lot of times I go to the back of the room to watch these speeches and kind of see the audience. And I think some of those those cops were disappointed that uh, he didn't go after Hillary. How do you do that? Because you're, you're, again, you're the hired gun, you're the consultant, mm -hmm. the third party. And yet you know these figures very well I've spent hours and hours, if not days, if not in the case of Mr. Heston, collectively, probably months mm -hmm. with these individuals, you know, the audience, you've studied it, you've got a methodology. How do you bless and release, so to speak, when they don't take your advice? You know, I think it's a maturity. I, I wasn't very good at that for a while. But at some point, you just learn that it's the principal's speech. It's not yours. It's it's uh, it's the principal's organization, not yours. And at the end of the day, I, you just have to develop the maturity, I think, to be able to, like you say, bless and release, to be able to express your view, even be strident about your view, but understand that it's not your speech. It's not your organization. It's 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 not you know, it's not your role. It's I've always. I always thought that attorneys do such a much better job at this than PR people. You know, PR uh, people, we we like to fall on every sword, die do. on every hill, like every, you know, we've got to, we are, we know we're right. You've got to do it. And the attorneys are just so good. And I think to their credit, they, they retain credibility when they're kind of the wise owl in the room. And they're like, this is based on our experience. This is our advice. Oh, you don't want to do that. Okay, well, then this could happen or that could happen. But you just kind of see in the back of their eyes, look, we're here and 
billing by the hour, no matter what you choose, <laughs> right? right? And I and I think it's hard for PR people, especially when you put your blood, sweat, and tears. Did you ever have one of these folks come back to you and say, "You were right. I should have included that." That speech I just talked about the the, the police speech. You know, we left. We got back in the car. We're on the way back to our hotel. Wayne looked at me and said, you know, I should have left that in. Hmm. How about a time where you pushed someone a little bit further in their advocacy of a particular position than they said that they wanted to go initially? I certainly had that experience uh, in a speech I was writing for Tom Selleck, um, you know, and uh, I knew what he wanted. Yeah, we had talked about it and I wrote the speech that he wanted and it was it was fine. I, I think he it was it was just about perfect for him, I thought. Um, and then someone who's very good friends with him uh, looked at the draft and said, uh, it's one of my bosses actually, and said, you know, I think we should write harder. I think he should go harder with with respect to the Second Amendment uh, on the gun issue than, than, than this. And I said, I don't think he wants to do that. And so, you know, Tony says, well, maybe we write it and present it for him. So I wrote a second speech that was but much, much harder on the Second Amendment. And we were in Beverly Hills at a private cigar club uh, and, uh, to meet for dinner and look at the speech. So Tom is looking at the speech and he just, I mean, he just blew a gasket. He hated it. He was chewing me out. I mean, you know, you haven't lived unless Charlton Heston has chewed you, or unless Tom Selleck's chewed you out in public, but it was pretty rough. I mean, I was pretty embarrassed. Um, but my, you know, my boss Tony was there, and he explained that it was his fault. Bill wrote the speech. I think you're going to want, you know, we'll we'll get it sent to you, and we'll you know we'll take care of it. Okay, okay. And then dinner was fine. So we get to the end of dinner, and I'm picking up the drafts because I don't want to leave them on the table. Right. And Tom's so like, Oh no, I want to keep mine. There's a lot of good stuff in here. The one he didn't like. The one he chewed me out over. <laughs> I'm like, All right, dude. You know, whatever. Um, so we did this. We did the speech during the week before we did rehearsals. The speech was in Reno, um, and uh, he was fine. He he did great, and he actually used a good bit of the speech he hated. Right. Um, so he did go a little further than he thought he wanted to. So is that sometimes the process? Is that you have to just kind of plant the seed and then let them maybe adopt it? Maybe I would have handled it a little differently in that situation if I had to do it over again because I really don't want to get chewed out in Beverly Hills at a <laughs> restaurant. But um, it certainly worked out in the end. Uh, for, uh, however it happened in his head, uh, somehow Tom got more comfortable being a little further out there. Yeah. Let's back up for a minute. And he's a good guy, by the way. I hope no one thinks that, you know, because he chewed me out that he's he's a, oh, he's, a, he's, he's a, really not. He's a he's, he's a very nice, kind guy. He's a blue blood. He's Magnum right, PI. Right. right. I mean, you know, how could how could we not like Tom Selleck? Okay. So let, let's back up a second. How does walk us through your history? How does one end up as the speechwriter for the CEO or president of the National Rifle Association? Tell us about your background. Well, I I think I ended up where I did because I didn't go to culinary school <laughs> that was the second choice that would have been sometimes i think it should have been the first choice but no i uh grew I, up in idaho i grew up well yep grew up in idaho and i started working on political campaigns um, and i think that was a very good training ground uh, for me um, i didn't work on the big campaigns that had all the money in the world and could you know 
I usually worked on the lean and mean ones that needed staff and 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 staff had a lot of authority and opportunity because we did we were working on a shoestring um, and lost a lot of those but won a couple but I think that really trained me uh, trained my mind I think in particularly for crisis uh, communications because it's campaigns are pair on fire and you know twelve hours a day for and. And there's a, an adrenaline rush to that that also comes, I think, into play during a crisis situation that your hair's on fire, you're trying to deal with this, this crisis. Uh, so I think that helped a lot. Um, and then, you know, I got back to Washington uh, to work for Senator Steve Sims from Idaho, uh, handling his press. Um, and then went to a, an agency after that that, uh, that had NRA as a client and I got to know them and then I went to work directly for them and you know, ends up becoming a career. Can you think of the most difficult crisis communications situation you ever worked on? As you reflect, which one was the hardest? Probably Sandy Hook, um, be, simply because of the nature of that tragedy. I mean, 20 little kids, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to do my job. I'm on the phone with producers from Meet the Press and everybody else, and I'm trying to write a statement um, uh, for the NRA to deliver at some point um, while I'm, you know, watching the news and thinking about presents under a tree that are never going to get open because it happened right before Christmas. So yeah. that was probably the most personally difficult for me. How about professionally difficult, where it really challenged your experience, your maybe your ability, or maybe a situation you hadn't dealt with before? Maybe after the Parkland, Florida shooting at that high school, um, again, that was a situation where uh, it wasn't just the media coming after NRA. All of a sudden, there was a group of teen activists coming out of that high school uh, and, and becoming advocates for, you know, bans on firearms and and other restrictions. And that became difficult because it was a time when Wayne LaPierre uh, 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 did not want to be the one out there. I think, I think he was uh, fearful of being personally vilified. And CNN was hosting a town hall uh, in Florida um, and uh, you know, wanted a spokesperson. And I remember we were actually in Dallas uh, in a meeting me and Wayne LaPierre and other folks from our agency that was working on, on, on their behalf, uh, when uh, Wayne got the call that, hey, CNN wants him in Dallas. And so we had a, a big discussion and debate about it and finally sent, uh, and I think it worked out well, sent a woman named Dana Lash, was a radio personality, and, and she was a national spokesperson for the organization at the time. And I thought Dana did a really good job. Uh, we flew her in there and she, uh, she took a lot of heat, uh, particularly from the audience, um, but I thought she held around and did a really good job. So, and that was tough because, you know, do you send Wayne? Do you send Dana? Um, you've got to, you know, you have to face now not just the news media and the sort of normal, you know, regular anti-gun activists, but now there's this whole group of teenagers coming out of that. Um, and then they got funding from Bloomberg, uh, you know, and uh, 
And it became a real thing. In dealing with, you've written speeches for governors and senators, members of Congress. Yeah. Giving them advice on issues management, their, re their reputations. Has there been a situation where your advice to your client was, you have to apologize? You've screwed up. Yes. Yes. Um, after, uh, you know, after the Oklahoma City, City bombing and the letter came out referring to uh, ATF agents as jackbooted thugs, um, that became a situation where it, it grew. The, the narrative became NRA's calling uh, law enforcement, federal law enforcement, jackbooted thugs. Um, and even though it was a quote from a congressman from 20 or 30 years before, didn't matter. NRA had put that out there. They were calling federal law enforcement jackbooted thugs. Um, and yes, a lot of us felt very strongly that there needed to be an apology. Um, but NRA is not used to apologizing. You know, that's a hard thing. And I, to tell you the truth, what turned it, uh, we were in a conversation and had a Wayne had a, uh, we had a, uh, there's a security guy there who had, was a former Secret Service agent. And Wayne looked over and asked him, and he said, yeah, I feel offended by that. Wow. And that's when Wayne realized, yes, I need to apologize. And so in a, we set up a speech for, you know, a few days later, and he did. What's the number one piece of advice you would give to a PR practitioner in, in the crisis or issues management space? You've got to define who your audience is. That's the most important thing to me. Because if you don't know who you're talking to, how the heck can you ever figure out what to say? Yeah. And there might be more than one audience that you're trying to talk to, but and, and you might have to prioritize them. But that's the most important thing to me. That's the most important thing to me in just about everything I've been involved in, whether it's a media appearance, you know, or a crisis situation, writing a speech, you know, I think about who's the audience, who, you know, Who's this speech going to be heard by? Um, I think that's the most important piece of advice I have. How about your own reputation? Do you ever think about that? Like, have, have you it, know, things um, you've done, folks you've chosen not to work for or represent because of your own reputation? I'm at a point, you know, uh, being semi-retired and doing some private, you know, consulting and freelance ghostwriting or whatever. But so I've looked. I've had a point where I've looked back at my career. Um, I've been pretty lucky and I've had some experiences personally and professionally that most people in my line of work don't get, you know, in a lifetime. I mean, I've worked with all of them, you know, 60 Minutes, Meet the Press, you know, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I've done done all that stuff and, and you know, flown around with Charlton Heston doing campaign tours and LaPierre and, you know, Selleck and, I mean, shoot. Um, not bad. No, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a big thing. You know, you I feel were, very lucky. You were called a, I think Forbes dubbed you a savvy communicator. Is that how you see yourself? <laughs> PR it's, week. Yeah, it was, it PR, was PR. PR. It's nice to be thought of uh, fondly, I guess, or in a positive way. That, uh, I, that there was a, it was a great interview I did. This guy came out from PR week. Um, and they wanted to do a profile of me, and which I would normally not do. But it's PR week. It's the trade publication for our line of work, you know. And I'd normally turn it down because it has nothing to do with NRA. 
But I went to LaPierre and, and I asked him, and I said, well, it's a total vanity thing here. It's just going to be about me. You know, I'm not trying to promote anything. And our anyway, he goes, nah, go ahead and do it. I get it. Go ahead and do it. So I did. Um, and the guy came in, and I don't know what he was expecting, but the, the article uh, kind of came out like he was expecting me to be like hairy to hair on fire and all, you know, kind of a mess and phones ringing off the hook with crises and everything Coffee else. on your shirt. And, and it was <laughs> fine. It was a normal fine day. And he did tell me something funny. He's, I guess PR Week had done a poll of the worst PR jobs in America. And number one was tobacco. Yeah. All of that stuff going on. And number three was the NRA. So I had the third worst job in America. So I said, well, what was number two? And it was porn. Do they even do PR? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, wasn't there? There's was a there's a movie, uh, wasn't it, with with the PR people who are or the lobbyists for uh, the the guns, the alcohol, the cigarettes? Oh, uh, thank together. you for not smoking. Thank you for thank you for smoking. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, that was. Uh... Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, maybe someday they'll make a movie about you. <laughs> All right. We're going to go uh, wrap up with kind of our lightning round of questions. A okay. few of these that are just for you are a little bit longer. A speech that never made the light of the day. Who is it? Who is it for? I wrote a speech for uh, Senator Sims, I do recall one time, that never made the light of day because the issue changed. Um, how do you unwind after a stressful or intense day? You know, nothing beats a scotch with a little ice and a cigar. <laughs> All right. You, you you already answered my next question, which is your favorite adult beverage. So I'll go with scotch. Okay. Favorite, I know you're a cook, a chef. What's your favorite meal to cook? Shrimp etouffee. Very nice. Uh, you've worked with lots of celebrities, as we've mentioned. Do you have a favorite celebrity moment? Yeah, but I don't know that I can tell the story. It's Charlton Heston. Okay. Uh, he was doing an interview with Andrea Mitchell and promoting a new book he had just come out with. It's all fine, he gets her, goes on the set, gives her the book, he signs it for her right on the air. That's very nice. She ignored the whole thing and went right after him on the gun issue. And he, you know, kept trying to bring it back to his book. She kept talking about banning this or banning that and children being killed in schools and whatever she was ranting about. Um, and Heston was very professional and polite in the interview and we, we came out and I was livid. I mean, I'm. I'm with the producer just in her ear saying, you've got to be kidding me. You lure him on to promote his book and, and ambush him? I mean, you got to be kidding me, you know? So we, we go out and we get in the elevator and I told Mr. Hess, it was just me and him in the elevator. And I said, I said, CH, I said, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, you got ambushed there. And he said, Bill, that woman is a, ooh, Oh, gosh. Yeah, not good. So he was angry. He was. He was. But he still maintained character and professionalism. Wow. Okay. What was your favorite subject in school? Probably history. What did you major in in college? Communication. Favorite holiday? Favorite holiday. Thanksgiving. Yeah, over Christmas. Oh, yeah, because you don't have any pressure to buy anything. It's just food and football. Favorite hobby? Favorite hobby, probably cooking. Favorite guilty pleasure? Key lime pie. <laughs> All right. You went back to food. Hmm. Um, your favorite brand, something you buy, 
That's a good, good question. Favorite brand? I don't know the answer to okay, that. Okay, we'll come back. Okay. Favorite movie? Uh, off the top of my head, I got to say The Godfather. Favorite day of the week? Favorite day of the week, Saturday. I love Saturday. Hidden talent. Hidden talent? Yeah. I, play, I play piano. Do you really? Mm-hmm. What favorite song you play? Mm, I don't know that I have a favorite. I do some Elton John that I like. I like that. If you could pick one person, alive or dead, that you could meet for dinner, who would that be? Ronald Reagan. First guy I voted for when I was old enough to vote was Ronald Reagan for president. I'll tell you a true story. Not related to Reagan, but um, this was a really interesting moment in my life. I uh, planned the memorial service for Charlton Heston, along, you know, with his son. I worked with his son. And um, I'm at the church, everybody's getting in there, everything's going fine, I'm standing outside. Um, I get word that the governor, Schwarzenegger was governor at the time, the governor was running late. And the plan was for the governor Schwarzenegger and Tom Selleck to be on each side, arm in arm with Nancy Reagan, who wanted to be at the service because the Reagans and Destins were great friends going way back to their days of doing TV in New York. I mean, long time friends, decades. So the a black car pulls up and a Secret Service agent gets out and she comes over to me and says, you know, you're Bill Powers. I said, yeah. She said, I'm with Mrs. Reagan. I said, okay. She's in the car. She says, I hear the governor's late. I said, I hear about 10 minutes out. Well, the, the Secret Service agent says, well, I don't know what to do with Mrs. Reagan because she's ready to get out of the car. And I don't want her to get out until the governor gets here and Tom and Tim can walk her down. I said, well, okay, what do you, what do you need? Because can you go sit in the car and talk to her? I'm like, excuse me, can you, you want me to go? See? She goes, look, she's bored talking to me, you know, just go sit in the car and talk to her. So I talked to Mrs. Reagan for about five or 10 minutes. What did you talk about? I told her who I was and I thanked her for being there. I said, I'm sure that that the families really appreciate you being here. And she said, oh, we were such good friends. And and she says, now, so you work for Mr. Heston? I said, well, yes, I worked on his behalf for a long time. Oh, okay. And I told her I voted for her husband. That was when I was old enough to vote for the first time. Thank you for that. Wow. This is really sweet. Very, She's very frail, uh, but the mind's there, and she was very sweet. Bill Powers, you've... Uh... You're too young to call it a legendary career, but you've had a fantastic and I've been very career. blessed. I've had some great opportunities and uh, and experiences that that I'll never forget. It's been interesting chatting with you because, you know, a lot of these memories I, I just kind of don't think about anymore. And uh, so I appreciate that. Maybe one day you'll write your own book. Yeah, I don't know. You never know. You never know. But you've had some great experiences um, helping people protect and enhance their own reputation. And I appreciate you sharing with us today. So Bill Powers, we're recording from Dallas. Thank you for coming to Dallas to talk with us. And thank you for joining us for Reputation Matters. We'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Reputation Matters. Find us at sunwestpr.com or your favorite podcast streaming service. Until next time.